For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast once again. Uh, Really looking forward to to introducing a new series and a new guest to you all today. Uh, First off though, uh, the series, as you may have guessed uh, due to the title, is to do with the 2022 World Cup in Qatar next year. Uh, We'll be looking at individual players, under 23 case studies and that sort of thing from each confederation. Um, We're getting started with Combiball, which many of you will be familiar with as the footballing confederation in South America, uh, their version of UEFA if you will. Uh, for that reason, there was, there was nobody else we could kick off the, the new series with to, to discuss South American football other than Tim Vickery. Uh, Tim is based in, in Rio de Janeiro and contributes regularly to, to the BBC, ESPN, World Soccer, Sports Illustrated, among many, many, many others uh, on the topic of South American football, of course. Uh, Tim, thank you very much for your time. Welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Lovely to be here. I mean, the famous words of former US President Jimmy Carter, away the lads. <laughs> Very topical indeed. You've clearly done your homework on me, haven't you? Um, I, I mean, it's the, with, with Combo Ball, with the, the latest round of uh, fixtures in, in World Cup qualifying, it was quite a, an exciting action-packed last round, um, as is always the case, to be honest. Um, not quite as dramatic as the, the COVID-related public health pitch invasion that, that happened mm-hmm. um, during the September internationals, but I'm sure we'll get on to that at some point. Um, first off, though, Comebol, obviously the confederation, which is, which is home to your Brazils, your Argentinas, Uruguay, Colombia, you know, some of the world's best, most talented players, some would say ever. Um, you know, what's it like sort of covering football from from that part of the world? Well, the, the thing I like best is exactly that, the World Cup qualification campaign. Um, because I know you lot over there, you hate, most of you, you hate the, the FIFA dates. It kind of inter- interrupts the, the whole rhythm of your, of your football watching. But for the rest of the world, remember what, it, what it's like for the rest of the world. It, it's, it's the mm. only time really we get to see the, the players. Mm. Um, and, uh, we, you know, they come back. And they play in really competitive games. Um, South American uh, World Cup qualifying is terrific. I think it's the best on the planet. All 10 teams go into the competition thinking that they can qualify. And that, 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 that wasn't always the case. Uh, it's been greatly improved since the change of format in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, we've had all 10 countries playing against each other home and away just making use of the same FIFA dates that Europe uses for its Euro qualifiers and its World Cup qualifiers, if you like, because our regional competition, the Cop America, doesn't, doesn't have qualifiers. Um, so it's, it's, it's a marathon. Uh, and having that marathon since 96 has, for the first time, put the South American national teams on a kind of level playing field with Europe in, in the sense that they have a, a calendar of competitive games with you know guaranteed income and the chance to keep a side together and before that there were often huge gaps in in international football in South America you know national teams would go like two years without playing a game and kind of everything was done on the basis of a, of a tournament like even World Cup qualification was done very quickly on the basis of a tournament since we've had this and since um, sides have been able to invest in coaches and and this is absolutely crucial 
invest in their under 20 structure absolutely mm-hmm. crucial to an understanding of South American football, the, the under-20s. Um, since then, we've seen a, a, a dramatic improvement in the standards of, of the lesser nations. Um, and Ecuador had never qualified for a World Cup. They'd never actually played a full international in Europe until they qualified for the first their first ever World Cup in 2002. 2006, they made the second round and they gave England a game. That was unthinkable 30 years earlier, 20 years earlier. They were, they were, they were a Luxembourg, you know, in, uh, before, like, before the mid-80s, they were a Luxembourg. Look at the progress that, uh, that, that they'd made. 2010 was the best World Cup in the history of Paraguay, who gave Spain a hell of a game. 2014 was the best World Cup in the history of Colombia. 10 and 14 were the best ever in the history of Chile with the exception of 62 that they hosted. Peru came back to the competition in 18 and for the first time since 82 and were competitive. And Uruguay have come back to football's top table. You know, in two mm. of the last three World Cups, statistically, they've been South America's best team. Uh, and uh, that in the, say, the, the mid-90s, that would have seemed absolutely inconceivable. So it's a great competition, South America's World Cup qualifiers. It's, uh, it's one I love. Followed closely, actually, by the South American Under-20 Championships, which can drag because it's a lot of games. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, th- that's where you get to see some some real duels. And it's the conveyor belt to the senior side. So that they're, they're, they're the favourite things that I do, really, from, from South American football. Because, the club game has been gutted um, because the players, the best players, are moving abroad ever younger. Um, there, there, there are still you know, there's, there's great tradition there. Uh, and now, especially in Brazil, there's a handful of super clubs in Brazil who, who can now afford better players. Um, the, you know, the, the tactic is really sell your young stars to Europe and use that to finance squads of either players who are coming back from finishing off their career in Europe or the, the likes of, say, Andreas Pereira. Mm-hmm. who wasn't get, getting a regular game and can be a star back at home. So you, you, you bring him back. So that there are always points of interest in the club game, but it's, it's, the, it's the national team game, both in the World Cup qualifiers and in the under-20s, that I find most fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's a lovely little sort of colourful introduction uh, to, to, to the Confederation, to the World Cup qualifying structure in South America. Um, and, you know, I think that just to, to brief everybody sort of on the current standings, you've got Brazil, who are top, who are unbeaten on 31 points so far. Uh, Argentina, second with 25. And then Ecuador, as you mentioned, uh, which we, might be somewhat surprising to some people, but we'll get on to why that might be the case, that they're in third with 17 points, uh, with a little case study in a, in a short while. But then you've got your Colombia on 16, Uruguay in fifth on 16, and, and Chile then on 13 um, in sixth. You know, it's it's the obviously the four teams go through automatically to the World Cup, and then the, the team that finishes fifth they'll then enter sort of the, the playoff structure where you you know you then end up having to to play teams from other confederations. I remember was it Uruguay played Australia uh, in uh, was it a couple for the of 2000- times. Yeah, yeah, times, yeah. They, they beat them to get to two thousand and two, and mm. lost to them on penalties uh, in two thousand and six. Yes, that's the one I'm remembering. Two thousand and six. Yeah, because I, I knew there was some sort of high drama that that happened between those two teams uh, that, that definitely wasn't at a finals. But um, on to sort of the last round of matches, uh, and I think um, it was it was pretty much dominated by you know the the decisions that Tite made. Certainly from a Brazilian perspective, you know there was the the games against Venezuela and, and, and Colombia, um, which obviously the Brazil won against Venezuela, and then they drew nil nil in uh, Barranquilla, was it? I think. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and then went into their final game in, in Manaus uh, against Uruguay. And that was where uh, Leeds United player Rafinha made his his full debut. He he'd obviously came off the bench in the two previous matches. Um, but his is an interesting case. And while I don't always make exceptions for 24-year-olds for on, on the Scouted podcast, I think I do have to make an exception for Rafinha, given that, you know, the the nature of his introduction to, to the Brazilian national team, to, to the Selecao, was, was so so impactful. Um, you know, the, all those images of him arm in arm with Neymar after after the, the, the Uruguay game. It's just, you know, I, I, I couldn't help but sort of consume everything that, that was being written about it because... Mm. Um, it's it's such a good story, you know. Didn't play a professional game when he was when he was you know in his home country uh, before getting a move to to Victoria Guimaraes um, in I think it was around 2016. So, as you were saying earlier, Tim, you know when the players come back, it's sort of the the first and, and only real opportunity that that lots of people will get to to see these types of players. And especially you know, in Rafinha's case, that's only amplified by the fact that he wasn't uh, a professional in, in, in the top flight in Brazil or even in the state championships. Um, I, I'm just curious to know, you know, what was... What was known of Rafinha before this this most recent round of fixtures, or the one previous where he was initially called up? Yeah, when he was called up for September and then then mm. not released. Um, there are a lot of Premier League fans in Brazil, and not yeah. as many, I think, as you probably get in Africa and Asia, because domestic football is still by far the main driver over here, the the, the local clubs. Um, but I think the vast majority of Brazil's football public didn't really know who he was and wouldn't have recognised him had they met him in the street when he came off the bench at half-time against Venezuela to make his international debut. They knew all about him by the end of the 45 minutes because (laughs) um, as debuts go, it wasn't good. It was sensational. Uh, And this, again, this reflects on the the quality of South America's World Cup qualification. Everything's gone wrong for Venezuela in this campaign. It's been a nightmare for them. But they were leading Brazil 1-0 for an hour. And uh, without the introduction of Hafinha, I think Venezuela might have won that game. Hafiz, um, he was just sensational right, right from the start. The first thing that caught the attention with him was his set pieces, and the corners were, were terrific. Uh, and it was ob- Brazil weren't creating anything, and it was obvious that the way they were going to get their equaliser was from a headed goal from a centre back from one of Hafiz's set pieces, and that that's the way that it came. And then at one-one with Venezuela trying to force the second goal, and the space opens up. Then you began to see the winger. Uh, and he, uh, Brazil went ahead with a penalty and it was all about him. He carried the ball um, at pace uh, for, a, for a, a long run and they just played the simple pass with the right weight at the right time. So often you see those, contra- those, those counter-attacks wasted uh, and uh, that set up a penalty. And then in stoppage time, he, he, he set up uh, the third goal, getting to the byline and, and, and pushing across. Came off the bench for the last half hour against away to Colombia. I was surprised they waited so long. And he was the best thing on the field then as well. He very, very nearly set up the winger, the winner. And then given his debut against Uruguay, um, it was Brazil's best performance for years, actually. I think since before, probably since about 2017, 2016. Um, it was the, mo- the moment that they found the blend uh, and uh, he linked up instantly with, with, with Neymar. They were terrific together uh, and uh, they've, they, they've found themselves a player. Um, so if the Brazilian football public didn't know him when he came on at halftime against Venezuela, they know much more about him now. 
Yeah, it certainly seems unfathomable that that you know next year in Qatar that that Rafinha won't be there because you know the impact that as as you just alluded to, I think uh, I stayed up over here in the UK. I stayed up to watch that Colombia game, and it was when he came on and just absolutely rinsed uh, Johan Mojica, uh, the the Colombia left back. He destroyed him, didn't he? Oh, he just it he was... turned it turned him into toast. Mojica just couldn't couldn't cope with him at all. Um, it was uh, it was it was remarkable to, uh, to to see. I mean, the, the coach Chichi he made a point after the Uruguay game of saying, "Let's go calm with him. He is going to oscillate. It ain't going to be like this all the time." Uh, and I think that was a recognition of just how sensational he'd been in those first three matches. Yeah, I think when you have to say that after, I mean, when you have to to, to temper the expectations um, after such a grand introduction, that's kind of told you how how. Uh, integral that he could become in future and obviously he's still only 24 years old I think he turns 25 in December um, so you know he'll still be 25 when the World Cup rolls around so got quite a few competitions and, and Copa Americas and, and the like in his legs definitely um, there was another sort of I mean especially from sort of the Anglo-centric viewpoint that, that I'm sort of taking this from but there was another big story I, I don't know I'm, I'm quite keen to gauge how big a story it's been in South America as well because over here it's it's kind of bubbled away but it's been one which has been so many people's favorite tale from the international break because you know they're they're much maligned these breaks especially in Europe and and while I think that that's very unfair sometimes I think international football off, often offers up the best and most sort of uh, heartwarming storylines I think this one in particular with with Ben Brereton Diaz with Chile uh, it has been just absolutely phenomenal, uh, and I was I was watching the, the commentary of the, uh, the the goal that he scored. I think it was against Paraguay, but you might you might have to correct me in the most recent round. Um, and it was just the commentator going chi 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 ben ben ben, and it sounds so strange to hear it from a from a you know a Hispanic commentator. But it's you know, and you're like that guy plays for Blackburn in the Championship. It's just it's so surreal, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, he, he scored a cracker uh, against Venezuela in the last game as well. And the commentator just kept on shouting over and over again, Brenito, Brenito, Brenito Diaz, <laughs> Big Ben, Big Ben. Big Ben, that's it. Yeah, they, they've really taken to him because he's exactly what they need. I mean, um, Chilean domestic football is is a disaster. Uh, it's just, it's not producing anyone, you know. So you, you look at the national team and uh, it, it's still... Alexis Sanchez, Arturo Vidal, Gary Medel, Mauricio Isla, Claudio Bravo, you know, I mean, uh, Charles Arangues. The base of the team is the lot who came through the under-20s in 2007. You know, mm. that's, nearly, that's nearly 15 years ago. Um, they missed out on the last World Cup because that generation aged together and they ran out of steam. And they haven't produced anyone since. Uh, so... Um, when, when he was first called up, again, this is the Chilean public, had no idea who, who he was. Uh, and he doesn't speak the language. Uh, and they, they make a big thing of singing the national anthem. And, you know, they, when the music stops, they, they carry it on a cappella. Obviously, he can't do that. So he just has to <laughs> concentrate on a, on a solemn expression as the camera pans down. Um, but in the international language of football... He's exactly what they need because his youth and his thrust and his power and he's a smile on his face. And you saw in the Copa America that that he had he had plenty to add. And then he was another one that they, they couldn't get hold of in September for those three rounds in September. Uh, and they badly missed him. They only scored one goal in three games. Uh, and then they had those two 
must win games at home to, to Paraguay and Venezuela. And he came up big and he scored crackers in, in, in both of them. So he's, he's an absolute cult figure. They, 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 they love him. And this, this is one of those stories where international football is doing club football a favour. Definitely. Um, when he was first called up, and I was, you know, went to social media to ask about him, and you know, Blackburn fans were telling me, you know, he's a disappointment. He's he's clearly intimidated by the amount of money that, that Rovers have paid for him from from Notts Forest. You know, getting into the Chile side and seeing that he can cope in that company has obviously done wonders for his confidence. And Blackburn are now the beneficiaries. Yeah, absolutely. And you think with the the, the stage that he's now on. Uh, compared to um, no disrespect to Blackburn fans, but compared to you know obviously the national stadium in Chile to 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 Ewood Park, you know when when you've got an entire stadium, all the commentary uh, positions, you know chanting your name, it's it's something which is it's only going to invigorate you, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, they're not. They haven't used the national stadium. Oh, have they not? Rounds. No, they went to uh, Catolica's ground because it's so compact. Um, you know, they won these games on atmosphere as much as anything. <laughs> you know, uh, so no, it's 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 not the big stadium. It's a much much smaller stadium because now, and th- this this was really apparent in these three rounds. The fans are back, and it made it made a difference. You know, in we we had three rounds. That's fifteen games. In only three of those games did the away side manage to score a single goal. You know, the other wow. 12, the away side didn't get a goal. Home advantage matters in South America. Yeah, and I suppose one of those was was Uruguay in Manaus, wasn't it? And that consolation. Was sort of, yeah. Just, just a consolation, yeah. yeah. Ah, well, there, there you have it then. So that that's that's sort of the, the lowdown on how how Ben Burton or Big Ben, as he's now been termed, is uh, has been received down in in South America. But you mentioned obviously he wasn't available for the September internationals, and and nor was Rafinha or the many of the other uh, Brazilian players in the Premier League. But that was mainly to do with obviously it was COVID related and public health yeah. officials, and there was obviously that all came to a head. That very dramatic, uh, the, uh, the the public health pitch invasion. Uh, that, that occurred in the Brazil Argentina game. I mean, for I think a lot of people saw that, but maybe didn't understand the the the, the reason for why that happened and and why is it why is it uniquely South America where that might happen? Well, I think that there's just there's lots of things going together mm-hmm. to, to to form that one. Uh, and Brazil had, had changed the regulations since the Copa America. Um, and the, the, the whole red list thing on Brazil at that time was on the UK's red list. So we're going to reciprocate, you know, the UK's on our red list as well. No, 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 no. So there, <laughs> there's aspects of that. Um, Argentina had been informed. Whether they'd been informed clearly enough, I don't know. Um, if if they'd had, have, had applied for an, for an exemption before arriving in Brazil, I don't think it would have been a problem, but they didn't. Uh, and that means that they they went through the airport and kind of hid the fact that some of those players had been in in the UK within the previous ten days. Uh, and uh, what what happened here? I don't think it's got anything to do with really the Bolsonaro government or with Brazil looking to gain an advantage. Look at the league table. Look at the South American table. They don't need an advantage. I don't think mm. it's got anything to do with that. But there is, and I've, I've seen plenty of this in my time here and this is not necessarily a criticism but there is a side of brazilian authority that resents more than anything else the idea that brazil is a country where you know anything goes they just that they that that drives them apoplectic so it was obvious on the the day before the game it was obvious that there was a problem that uh, um, Argentina, that the players, the, the um, four English-based players hadn't declared this at the airport that they'd been in England. 
and uh, so that the the health authorities there were, were running around trying to trying to uh, get them to sign documents and uh, trying to sort this out and they could never they were they were getting a runaround frankly and I think they, they just got pissed off with, with, with being given the runaround <laughs> um, they, Argentina were, were said were asked to apply for a last minute exemption um, that didn't that failed to come through 50 minutes before the kickoff. <laughs> At which point, you know, they're already in the stadium and they've handed in the the, the team lineup, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And uh, and 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 so that the health officials who said they couldn't gain access to the dressing room that, that, that was all locked up. So what they did was was was, was wandered onto the field. It was uh, over officious. They were upholding the law. It was, but it was over officious. I, mm. you know, I, I don't really think, especially for all of the players in question, were fully vaccinated. I don't really think there was a, there was any he- extra health risk from playing that you know let the game go ahead and then you know deal with it back at the airport where they had to go anyway and went straight after the game. Um, so uh, there, there was a huge cocktail of of bad communication and over officiousness and and and, la- and lack of common sense. And now there's just no idea what 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 we're going to do with that game because there's just not space in the calendar to do it. And thankfully, it, it's not going to matter in terms of World Cup qualification. Uh, no one has, in the history of the competition, no one has ever failed to qualify with 28 points. And Brazil already have 31 and Argentina already have 25 and there are lots of rounds to go. So it's not going to matter in terms of qualification. Um, so uh, uh, what on earth FIFA are going to do with this game? I don't know. Yeah, it has created a bit of a maelstrom there, hasn't it? If 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 the initial uh, uprising wasn't enough. But... Um, yeah, that was the the four Argentine players that obviously were had played in the Premier League in the previous round of fixtures. It seemed it seemed farcical to suggest that, given the rules that were in place, that you could get away with the fact that well maybe they weren't maybe they maybe they weren't in the UK when Gio Lo Celso and and mm-hmm. Emi Martinez, Emi Buendia all been all been pictured in <laughs> at Villa Park and places like that. Yeah, and well, put photos of themselves on social media, flying back from defying their clubs and flying back from from England. So yeah, uh, yeah quite quite what went on at the airport, how this this got through at the airport, I don't really know. Uh, and to, to general mystery, um, Brazil, the, the health authorities issued a statement saying um, the official, the Argentine FA official who'd signed this declaration at the airport. Uh, Fernando Batista, the the under twenty coach, he wasn't even there. So there's there's lots of strange things going on in this uh, in in this story. A communications disaster, I think, is is how we're gonna we're gonna sum it up. But um, yeah, back to to sort of the, the football and, and what's happening on the pitch. Uh, and obviously, we mentioned there, obviously Brazil, Argentina, and the two teams who are who are look destined for a place at, at, at Qatar 2022. But Beneath them, it's 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 far from a foregone conclusion. Uh, Ecuador currently in third with 17 points, but tailed quite closely by Colombia, Uruguay, and, and a little further back, Chile. Um, but with, with Ecuador, you, you touched on it earlier, and, and you, you also spoke about uh, the under-20s. Uh, and that's something I, re- I really want to, to go into a little bit of depth on, especially on, on this podcast, of course. Yeah. Um, because, um, we, you know, we, we watched the, the under-20 World Cup in 2019 with, you know, your real, a real keenness. Uh, and, and Ecuador finishing third at that competition um, were, were one of the most entertaining sides. And well, they were South American champions as well. Well, exactly. Yeah. Going into that competition, um, they, 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 you know, they came with, with a reputation uh, and, and it was pretty, pretty clear to see. Um, and I've got listed down here. I don't know whether I think a few of them, maybe Gonzalo Plata had, uh, had made his 
of uh, his senior debut before that competition. But eight of the 21 in that squad are now, as of the last round of matches, full debutants, uh, which I think is probably the highest rate of return of, of any squad at that 2019 Under-20 World Cup. So that shows that, I mean, first of all, it's definitely a pathway there. Um, mm. But also, again, it speaks to, to the, the, the level of importance that the, the Sudamericano under-20 or sub-20, um, it, it, you know, the, the importance that that holds in South America. Um, but, you know, from, from a young player's perspective, Tim, you know, I mean, the, the 2002 and 2006 World Cups for, for Ecuador were, were probably, you know, the, the highlights of, of their international footballing career so, uh, or international footballing story so far, given that it was back-to-back World Cups. It was the first time they'd qualified in 2002. But from an individual player's perspective, you know, would, would you be so, so bold to say that perhaps the, the, the group that we are seeing at the moment could be described as a potentially golden generation of Ecuadorian football? Perhaps, perhaps um, there are there are some interesting things going on in Ecuadorian football, despite everything. You know, it, it lives in administrative chaos. There was a huge fuss when there was a kind of coup inside the the, uh, the Ecuadorian FA, and for a while it wasn't clear who the president of the Ecuadorian FA was. They had an expensive rebranding um, where they they uh, switched a, a very interesting badge for a very shit one. Um, <laughs> they, they they hired Jordi Cruyff briefly as a high profile yes. European coach. I saw he, that. It was so odd. <laughs> He, yeah, he he resigned before he'd even even taken over a game, um, but and if you if you look at at club level, despite everything, there's interesting things going on. Um, Barcelona of, uh, of Guayaquil uh, have been since the, the, the Copa Libertadores, our Champions League, since it's been uh, a year long thing. It was expanded in 2017 from being pushed into the first half of the year to, to year long, which is, it's definitely benefited the wealthier clubs from the, the, the wealthier countries. Um, Barcelona of Goyaquil of the only side from outside Brazil and Argentina who've made two semifinals. Uh, and uh, Goyaquil is, is sea level. You can't pin that one on, on the altitude of Quito. Hmm. But that's remarkable. You know, in Ecuador at club level is consistently outproducing Colombia. Colombia is so much bigger and, you know, has so many more urban centres. Uh, Independiente del Valle from, uh, from the outskirts of Quito are, are a model club in terms of youth development. They take it really seriously. And investors have gone there because they have seen the raw material potential of the young Ecuadorian footballer. Uh, and uh, Independiente del Valle are producing, selling, producing, selling, producing, selling, on and on and on it goes. So that there are some really interesting players coming out of of, of Ecuadorian football, uh, and uh, and I, I I was a big fan of that that under twenty generation. Interestingly, uh, at the start of last year, we had the the uh, under twenty three tournament back, the Olympic qualifiers. Um, where you know in the Olympic Games you can have some ringers in, but for the, the qualification tournament it is only under twenty three, and Ecuador basically took their under twenty side that side that you're talking about who had been third in twenty nineteen they took that side and uh, it didn't work for them at all, um, which I suppose one of the points here is the under twenty is vital. And this was the first under 23 that we'd had since 2004. So, um, you know, for all of those years, the closest thing that we had to the senior side was the under 20s. Uh, and uh, 
under 20s they have taken on extreme importance in south american football the big thing behind the return of uruguay is this nearly 16 year reign of coach oscar washington tabardes that nearly ended at the weekend he he got the dreaded vote of confidence mm. um, meaning that he, he was very close to being sacked and will be sacked i think if uh, they don't get good results in two very difficult games next month um, but the big thing that he has introduced is the under 20 project and it's based on a, a realization of the effect of globalization um uruguay and uruguay is an extreme example because it's only a population of just over three million um so in a global market uruguay cannot possibly compete yeah you know, in the in the old days before tv when it was like fifty thousand in the stadium watching Peñarol or, Na or nacional they can compete with fifty thousand in the stadium watching real madrid you know it's the same thing and they could compete with anyone once it becomes tv Uruguay just doesn't have the market to, to, to compete. So, you know, they're, they're going to inevitably, the, the, the best players are going to leave at a, a, a younger, ever younger age. So the, the, the thing of Tabarez was, right, we're going to use the under-20s. Um, and what we're going to do is us, the Uruguayan FA, we are going to identify players good enough for modern globalised football. That means players with uh, speed of thought, speed of movement and speed of technical execution. Um, and uh, then we're going to give them, on the basis that if they're any good, they're inevitably going to go abroad young. We're going to give them a, an intense course in the history, the traditions and the identity of the Uruguay shirt. So we've got, it's a bit like the Jesuits, you know, we've got them for life, you know. Uh, and and uh, Uruguay, they've just had this conveyor belt. You know, despite having such a small population, they've been able to replace and replace and replace and replace. And it's very interesting to me that um, a lot of the things that Gareth Southgate has been doing with the England national team seem to be in some ways modelled on, on, on what Uruguay have been doing. You know, and England never used to take those youth competitions, the Under-17 World Cup, the Under-20 World Cup. They never used to take them seriously. They do now. Uh, and uh, um, this is where Uruguay are getting their players from. And other countries have seen this and thought, well, we'll have some of that. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, and uh, Ecuador, um, with this impressive youth work that some of the clubs are doing, um, the, the FA have also got into the act. Uh, and that, that generation, yeah, it does look very promising. But as I say, the gap between under-20s and the senior side is still big. So some of the some of the most important players haven't been able to make that gap yet. I mean, the, the, the under-20 side that you mentioned, one of the best but delightful little player to watch was a, the little left-footed uh, playmaker, Reza Bala. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's I very, remember. Very physically fragile, and he's he struggled to, to make the move up. Another one who was great there was the left-footed centre-forward, uh, Campana, mm -hmm. who Wolves picked up. Yes. You know, but he's not, he's not quite physical enough. He's, he's not there. He's, he's, and so he, he struggled. They tried to fast-track him into the national team, and it hasn't really worked, and he's, he's, he's been bouncing around from, from club to club. So, you know, it, it's an imperfect process. Not everyone comes through. Uh, and uh, if you look at Ecuador now, I think they, they, could, um, they could certainly do with, uh, with, with players in those positions better than, than, than some of the ones that, that, that they've got. Uh, Angel Mena has been a revelation in these these qualifiers, but he's getting on a little bit. Ena Valencia and Estrada up front, I think that can be improved on. Um, but yeah, there, there, are, there are plenty of promising players in, in, in other positions. And it does seem to be a very, very interesting generation that's coming through. 
Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned uh, Independiente del Valle then, uh, and it, sort of a light bulb came on came on in my head, and I was I was thinking, which which players do I know? And it was like, oh, Moises Caicedo, of course, exactly. Uh, Piero Incapi, and I was it, it got me back thinking to the um the under twenty Libertadores. Was it yeah. two thousand nineteen or twenty when uh when when they won? And you know, to think that for for a prestigious tournament like that, for an Ecuadorian team to be to be lifting the title over some of the you know the bigger teams in in Argentina and Brazil with you know the resources that that would just you know dwarf uh, the those of a, an under twenty team uh, in in Ecuadorian um, in in Ecuador's top flight, um you know it shows that the that there is there is method to this. Yeah, and it, it helps in a way that it's not a big club, because it, it's you know, it's it's hard to be a big club with a great tradition, and you're always selling your best players. It's difficult, yeah. uh, but if you're someone like you know uh, Independiente del Valle, you haven't got those populist pressures to deal with, you know, and that 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 makes it easier. Everyone knows you're going to sell, I and mean, look at what they did in you know with with uh, with midfielders. Um, Alan Frankel developed him, sold him to Brazil. In comes Moses Caicedo, mm. developed him, sold him to Brighton. Uh, and uh, they had another one, uh, Pedro Viti, came in last year, um, did very well in a few games, developed him, sold him, and then another one comes in. <laughs> they, they, they take it really, really seriously. I mean, it, it's a really serious thing. And they bring in quality European coaches as, as well. Um, so that's that's obviously part of it, but other clubs uh, uh, are participating. It, it, you, you can't ju- um, th- this one club has produced a lot of the players, but there's other clubs producing players uh, as as well. Possibly on the root cause of of this huge rise in in Ecuadorian football, one of them is they, they they're using many more Afro descendants, and the Afro descendant population of Ecuador is not big. And it's it's relatively limited to to two or three places in the in the country, uh, and uh, you know when you when you go there when you go to Quito you don't see that many Afro descendants, um, but you look at the football teams these days and they're very 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 Afro descendant, uh, and uh, um, that 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 has meant I think that the best of Ecuadorian football, it has a certain style that uses the physicality of some of these players I mean they, they they often play the Ecuadorian sides they'll often play on a on a on a kind of variation of 4-2-3-1 you know looking to make the pitch big with uh, strong fast wingers strong fast attacking fullbacks um physical strikers as well um so I think I think that that's been part of the rise of, of Ecuadorian football tapping into something that they had but they weren't using enough before no, that's that's really curious to to hear because it's something which from from sort of from my perspective of of Ecuadorian football, which is purely through the the players that ultimately end up in in uh, the the under twenty squads at major tournaments or or ultimately end up in Europe most of the time as a result of those performances. Um, that that it's quite curious to hear sort of why there are the the reasons which which ultimately lead to uh, Ecuador being a success in those competitions and just it's to, still a mystery to me how they're able to uh, to outproduce Colombia well yeah no, exactly demographically is demographically is the same and it's so much bigger and it's football mad and it's got so many urban centers and football is the game of the urban center but over recent years Colombia has been a, has been a disappointment 
Yeah, I'm, I, I think that's probably a separate episode in itself to try and explore the issues of of that of, of why Colombia perhaps has been has been usurped as that as that production hub. Uh, but just you know, just rattling off the the, the players who've who've you know, represented Ecuador in, in the most recent uh, round of fixtures. You know, you got Purvis Estupiñan, who was obviously picked up by Watford at a very early age, did very well at Osasuna in La Liga now with with Villarreal. Uh, Angelo Preciado who's Genk, another Independiente del Valle um, alumna, alumnus. Uh, Piero Hincapi, who's at Bayer Leverkusen. Diego Palacios at, at uh, Los Angeles FC. You know, these are not players who are playing in sort of, you know, the in the top 10 or 15 European leagues. You know, these are players who are competing in major major continental tournaments and 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 rightly so because they've they've got the building blocks to to be able to do that because of how how they've been developed as teenagers um and i think it would be good to to get on to 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 the brighton boys which um which is obviously moises caicedo and 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 interestingly enough jeremy sarmiento um who i'd I'd actually quite like to to hear a little bit more about how you see him fitting into to the national team setup potentially because obviously Caicedo was was signed uh, by Brighton was it in was it in January of this year and and I think it's obviously with a view to the future uh, certainly but when he was in uh, when he was in Ecuador um you know obviously he was a he was a bit of a revelation given given his age and and the fact that you know he was uh, he had a bit of a, a penchant for, for a long shot didn't he Tim well that that's some of that is altitude you know, because if you play at altitude, long shots are, are, are you know, because the ball f- that has less resistance in the air. So it flies through the air quicker. So uh, long shots are a, are a real um, weapon at altitude. And, and players who play at altitude uh, quite often develop that that as a technique. In terms of, I, I think he's a, Moses Caicedo is just a huge promise. I think he's a, just a magnificent midfielder. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I'm surprised they've loaned him out, really. I would have thought that he'd be good enough to compete already. Um, but anyway, they know, I think no, they know what they're doing. Um, Samiento, I know much, much less about because when he, he grew up abroad. You know, mm-hmm. he left Ecuador very, very young. Uh, and suddenly, when he was called up now, there, there was a big fuss about him. Without anyone really in Ecuador knowing, knowing much about him. Uh this worries me a little bit because I've I've seen this in the past okay. uh, with players from from other countries, uh, Peruvian who grew up in Spain and was in the the rank came through the ranks at Real Madrid, uh, Benavente. It was a huge fuss about him. He was going to be this. He was going to be that. He was going to be the other. But you know, a lot of a lot of the players who were youth level at Real Madrid or something, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be in the in the in the senior team at Real Madrid. You know, most fall by the wayside. And I think he was last seen in Belgium and. He was given a few opportunities, but he, he he was never he was never going to live up to to the hopes of like a Real Madrid player. And in in a way, I think something similar pertains to to uh, Sanabria of Paraguay, who uh, mm-hmm. came through the youth ranks at, at Barcelona, uh, and um, is now I think he's now, he's now at uh, Torino, and, and he plays for the, the Paraguayan national team, and he's probably the best centre forward that he's that they've got. And he missed a penalty last time round, which turned out to be expensive. But it, again, there, there have been no signs from him that he's he's, he's a world beater. Uh, and and sometimes because the, these 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 players are, are at glamorous foreign clubs, uh, and now anything anything in the Premier League is a glamorous foreign club to to the Ecuadorian audience. Sometimes this can this can heap expectations on them that they're they're not they're not good enough to live up to. 
Yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Um, with with Sarmiento, of course, uh, I, I, you're reeling off those names there. Benevente, again, another one which just completely had had just left my brain for about God knows how many years, and, and now it's now it's trickling back in. But um, with, uh, with 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 Ecuador. Oh, if, if, if you want to talk about Ecuador, Guerrero. Do you remember uh, um, yes. little Guerrero? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. One, of the, one of the very few players who's got both Real Madrid and Burnley on his uh, on his CV. <laughs> Very, very few people can count that themselves. Yeah, um, oh, you completely knocked me off track there. Um, I'm, I'm now thinking about more players who played for Barcelona and Blackburn. Um, but uh, I think it was the 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 South American Under Twenty Championship where I where I first saw Gonzalo Plata, uh, who who subsequently was signed uh, by Sporting Club de Portugal, and and hasn't really fit into uh, you know as as in fits and starts sort of showed why he was so dynamic, so explosive, so exciting at those youth international tournaments. Uh, he was obviously another one who was at that, that under-20 World Cup in 2019. Um, but I'm curious to, to know sort of what, what, the, what the consensus is in South America, in Ecuador, uh, over Plata, because obviously I know he plays regularly for the national team, but with, with, him, with, his, with the, his exploits at club level, it seems to be a story of one who maybe unfulfilled potential, maybe a bit... He, he was seen as being a bit erratic at times at, at sporting, and and that was something which uh, was 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 of great pain for me because I thought, yeah, this this is a player who I've watched at a very uh, a low level tournament compared to, to to most European spectators. I want to see him make it big, and 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 obviously now, I mean, he's he's, he's playing at was it Rio that you, that you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not not a bad level, but by no means it's not with the, the a club of the same stature as Sporting, for example. No, I think there are, there are he's a huge promise, but I think there are two problems with him. One is that he needs space, uh, and that that's harder to come by in European football than it is in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's so strong and so powerful, um, but he is very very left footed. So uh, you know, to to, to and he, uh, I think he's he's probably at his best wide right, cutting in. Um, but it, it's been easier for him to find to find space actually playing for the Ecuadorian national team, especially when they throw him on second half when the opposition are a little bit tired and he, and he, he can have a run at them. Um, so I think that that's been one problem in European football. Another problem is he's a little bit scatterbrained. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's not really trustworthy and he's given goals away when he's, he's you know, he's, he's lost concentration on his marking. Uh, like an idiot, he got himself sent off playing for Ecuador. He scored an absolute cracker and he's already on a yellow card. So he celebrates by taking his shirt off and he gets his second yellow for that and off he goes. Um, but he, he's certainly one for the future. And after, after Argentina beat Ecuador in the quarterfinals of the recent Copa America, Scaloni, the Argentina coach, he said to Alfaro, the coach of, of Ecuador, he said, you know, you've got a generation here that are, that are really, really special um, because it was a game that Ecuador were right in the game until until the last few minutes. One of the problems, I think, was was a centre-back that you mentioned, Hincapier, who uh, left-footed centre-back, who they're giving extended time to, and I don't think he's quite there yet. And I'm not sure he's going to be. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't really trust him. He's making a lot of mistakes. They've really thrown him in the deep end. I'm surprised he's getting a regular game ahead of uh, uh, Ariaga, who plays in the United States. Uh, and uh, the other centre-back, I know 24 is, is stretching it a little bit for, <laughs> for this podcast, but the other centre-back who they've brought in recently, plays in Mexico, um, Felix Torres. I think they've really found one there. Um, I think he's uh, he looks like he could be a, de- uh, he's a giant figure. He, he could be a defensive rock for them. Uh, Hincapé is, is a little bit iffy. And in the, the, the game that they lost 
could be important this one that they lost to Venezuela recently. They went with that they've really chopped and changed the goalkeepers, and they went with the goalkeeper from that under nineteen, uh, under twenty side, the twenty nineteen side, the Ramirez, who uh, had a little go with uh, Sociedad in Spain and then came back to Independiente del Valle where, where he started. Uh, and uh, he's, he's live and he's agile, but he, he dropped an absolute brick when he let a free kick go through his hands and that cost him the game. Um, so that they are paying a price, I think, for going with, with, with so much youth. It's, 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 a great, it, it's, it's a great live experiment, um, some of this Ecuador team, to see how youth copes with pressure. What's Spanish for for Alan Hansen? Because uh, I feel like that that could be quite a good <laughs> a, a good quote in there. But um, he, it's it's interesting to hear you to to assess them like that because obviously, I mean, I, I don't watch every Ecuadorian qualifier. I don't watch every Gonzalo Plata game. I don't watch uh, Pierre Incapé uh, very often. But it's whenever you do tune into one of those fixtures, you know, you you go through the lineup on 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 the internet or whatever, and you go, oh, he's he's another one who's who's nineteen. Oh, he. Oh, there's another one who came through Independiente del Valle. Um, yeah. You know, it, it it does pique the interest. Um, so it is it is very curious to to hear what what you've got to say on it. Um, aside aside from Ecuador in the um, most recent round of fixtures, and and actually to be honest, in throughout the entire qualifying campaign so far, um, you know, have, have there been players for you who who've impressed you? I mean, I, I noted down uh, Carlos Cuesta and and Fede Valverde, another two players who've who've got under twenty. Uh, pedigree uh, under 20 world cup pedigree that is um but are there any others who, who perhaps who have been 23 or under who, who've impressed you in qualifying well, across all I, other I, nations I, I love Cuesta um Cuesta is a player I discovered as a 17 year old when he was he was playing for he came off the bench for Atletico Nacional in a difficult cup uh, cup game away in Brazil I think it was against Curitiba uh, and he, he he came off the bench and he went to right back and then had a player sent off and he went to centre back and it was this was tough and he he just came through brilliantly uh, and then he played he was so good that he played in the under uh, uh, under twenty championship at the age of seventeen uh, and was great and then played the next one when he was when he was nineteen and was great again and, and it kind of surprised me a little bit that he went to Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Europeans will look at him and think, well, perhaps he's not quite big enough, um, and, and maybe that that that's a that's a doubt about him. Uh, but he, he he looks so classy to me, uh, and uh, I was delighted to see him get in and get get a chance. I mean, the story of him getting a chance is brilliant as well, because in those September games, um, Davinson Sanchez of Tottenham defied Tottenham to come back to South America yes. to play in them, and he, he but he's on a yellow card. So if he picks up another one, he's suspended. Uh, and uh, he made very sure that he was suspended from the third game so he could come home early. And that, that would smooth things over a little bit with Tottenham. You know, Rather than flying home after the game on the Thursday night, he flew home on the game after the, after, on, on the Sunday. You know? so, uh, and the, the way that he got, he got himself suspended was it was a game against Paraguay. It's 1-1. It's petering out final stages. Uh, and uh, Davo, he, he, he decides to take every set piece, every goal kick, every throw in until, and he takes so long over all of them until the referee just loses patience with him and, and gives him a booking. And that means he's suspended for the, for the next game. Problem for him is in comes Cuesta. Mm. Uh, and uh, to pair with the giant Yerry Mina of, of Everton, I think Cuesta's a better pair than, than Sanchez. You know, Mina and Sanchez are probably a little bit too similar. 
Cuesta and uh, and Mina, you're a little bit kind of Bobby Moore, Jack Charlton. Then you know you you got a combination. What a comparison! And, Quest- <laughs> and, yeah, and and uh, and uh, Cuesta did well, three one win uh, over Chile, and he kept his place. So uh, and the, the the three subsequent games, the three games that we've had um, this month. Uh, Columbia didn't concede a goal, didn't score one either. You know, it was three nil-nil draw. <laughs> you can't pin that one on Cuesta. You can, you, but the defensive records, yeah, great. So poor old Davo, he hasn't he hasn't got in, and Cuesta is now an established international, uh, and he's so he's certainly one that uh, I'm going to be watching because I've seen him all the way up, and I was a bit disappointed that uh, that that he ended up um, ended up going to Belgium. I'm hoping that there'll be there'll be better things from him. Um, looking at some players from from. Other teams, Bolivia is an interesting one because uh, and Bolivia they're they're the weakest side really in South America, but they do have the extreme altitude of La Paz. And what Bolivia did was um, that under twenty three Olympic qualifying tournament at the start of last year, they took that really seriously and they didn't they didn't qualify. Uh, they played in a really cavalier fashion because they weren't that worried about conceding. The coach really wanted to to develop players, and some of those players are now coming through. Um, they've, they've won the last two games and they've put themselves in in touching distance of getting in the fight. I don't think that they're, they're going to make it to Qatar. They're going to have to pick up some away points. But um, some of the young players, and there's one I particularly like, a centre-back, Jairo uh, Quinteros, who actually was uh, grew up in Spain and uh, came up the youth ranks with Valencia. He's moved back to Bolivia. He plays with with Bolivar now, but he he looks like quite a classy centre back. I think he he might be uh, an important player in in the national team for for quite some time. Um, other players who've come through recently, uh, Torres, little Torres of uh, of, of Uruguay, um, left footed playmaker. I think he's uh, he's a player with a with a future, and Peñarol aren't going to be able to to hang on to to him for for much longer. Did did very well in the Copa America when his his ability to take men on um, looked good. He's he's been a bit a bit injured since, so uh, he hasn't featured much for Uruguay recently. But I think uh, little little Torres of of, of Peñarol is is another player to watch, and happily. They're always coming through, you know, always. And it's one of the, it's one of the great pleasures that, that I have. Uh, catching them early, you know, watching them yeah. for the under-20s and then following them all the way through. Oh, definitely. That's one of the best aspects about about following youth tournaments is that, you know, you do see players before they do make it big time. And you, and you think you, you kind of do, you get your, you get your, your hooks in a little bit and you kind of, Develop that that small about small amount of attachment, I think, um, which yeah. which sometimes is not healthy in, in my case with Gonzalo Plata, clearly. Um, but thank you very much to to, to you, Tim, for, for coming on. I think um, you know the, the the unrivaled insight has definitely uh, lived up to 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 the hype because I mean every day is a school day on this podcast. If if you're learning about what altitude does to to long shots in in Ecuador, uh, or, or or to learn about how Gonzalo Plata maybe has has pointed the the barrel straight at his feet um, when when he's been when he's been celebrating goals for, for the national team. But yeah, thank you very much for for giving up your time, Tim. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it's excellent. Uh, and I hope everybody listening enjoyed it as well. Uh, we'll be back once again uh, next week with another episode. Uh, and this, this series, the Road to Qatar series, will continue and we'll roll on with other confederations and other expert guests in the near future. But in the meantime, stay safe, take care. Thank you all for joining us. Bye for now.
For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.